Welcome to the Dream Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Song of Songs 5. Let me read some stuff that I've been writing lately, and, uh, and then we'll go to Song of Songs 5. So, um, I'm going to grab my phone so I have a little uh, thing to hold my Bible down. All right. Yahweh met with me about two months ago and began talking to me about our name. Some of y'all remember, I kind of mentioned this back in, I think, around December, 1st of January, uh, which is obviously dream. So when we started, this name identified us as carriers of the Acts 2 grace, which is your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, visions and dreams. Uh, Both of those have to do with vision and the ability to move off of what's coming rather than what's current. So when they get the word, it's from the prophet Joel, it's being fulfilled on Acts 2, Holy Spirit falls, and then Peter prophesies, he says this is what Joel prophesied, which was, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. That's a a current but a futuristic prophecy. In other words, from now on, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Okay? So it wasn't just that day, it was now until forever, young men see visions, old men dream dreams. Okay, So both of those in Acts 2 have to do with really what's coming rather than specifically what's currently going on. Uh, two and a half years ago, or excuse me, two and a half years after that initial revelation of our identity dream, he's now releasing the current work of our identity, which is the current purpose of the dream, okay? He started speaking to me about two months ago about what's actually happening right now in this family and in this city. Uh, When he started giving me this new piece, he took me to Song of Songs 5, where we're going today. Here we find a bride who has committed herself to her bridegroom, but who has also allowed time to create normality which produced complacency, which ultimately produced apathy. Okay? So just uh, lock in right here. I know it's a lot of words, but uh, this bride, we find her in Song of Songs 2. We've been following this, which obviously represents us. Uh, We find her, and she's in a spot where time has allowed her to become normal to the situation, which led to complacency, to the situation, which ultimately led to apathy, and we're about to read this, to being joined to her bridegroom. It's the same thing we see in marriage all too often. Excitement that builds to a climax at marriage and then slowly descends into apathy through the normality of life. We see this all the time in marriage where you're getting married, you're excited. We call it the honeymoon phase, right? And so the fact that we have a label for it says that most people go through that. But you get a climax moment where you're marrying the person you've always wanted to marry. You've been engaged all the way up to this point. It's like a new life. You're living together now. I mean, it's just just a whole new world, right? Fast forward about five years and that brand new world becomes your normal world. And as it becomes your normal world, you find yourself becoming apathetic to the thing that you used to be excited about. Hello. Right? Ultimately, how does that end? Separation, divorce, etc. And um, 
I believe what the Lord is teaching us, he uses the language bride for us very specifically. All throughout the New Testament, the church is labeled the bride. In fact, if you remember this, when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out, it is finished, and bride. The word means both. So if he's labeling us as his bride, there's a couple of things that we have to begin to identify as the bride. Number one, I believe, is it's not just his job to keep the marriage going. So when you're in a marriage, it's a, it's a two-way thing. You've been joined. So if half of what has been joined is strong and the other half of what has been joined doesn't care, you got about 50% of caring, right? Because you're joined, you're 100%. So in Christianity... Christ is doing his part to continually woo us and draw us in. But if we stop and say, it's all on you, you take care of everything, and I'm going to just sit back and let this become normal, eventually we'll get to the point where we find ourselves wanting to separate. Consciously or subconsciously. So there are a handful in marriage, however, who marry but refuse to settle and instead use marriage as a catalyst into a life of going deeper and deeper into learning more and more about the one you're joined in your life to. There's a handful of people who get married, and instead of it going, the rest of their life, it actually starts to do this. I know of people like that. In five years, we're like that. I can can say that confidently. I, I love her more today than I did five years ago. 100%, right? But it it takes you making the decision, I will not stop at the climactic moment. Instead, I'm going to allow every day to be a climactic moment. Okay. These never end in separation and always die happy. These also statistically produce legacy that has marriages the same way. Statistically, if you grow up in a family where the mom and dad are completely in love, you're going to get married and stay completely in love, statistically. Okay? So dying to self and being joined to Christ in divine marriage is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. Okay? Y'all with me? Could somebody go back and, like, raise these lights up? I feel like I can't see anything. Kyle, do you know how to do that? Sorry, it's super distracting. I can't see. Um, just both of those switches over there. All right. So, so bring it in. So dying to self, praise the Lord. Thank you. And being joined to Christ in divine marriage is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. Okay, this is what we talked about last week. New identity is not the goal. It's a goal that leads to the goal eternity of always being satisfied but never being satisfied this this is really what i'm I, I, I think i've mentioned this maybe once or twice since we started this church but this has become the phrase of my life always satisfied but never satisfied right bill johnson there's revelation and the tension that exists between two seemingly contradictory ideas bill johnson So we're always satisfied where we are, but we're never satisfied staying where we are. Y'all with me? Okay. 
Our current church culture is filled with those who stopped at having a new name. The rate of those who dejoin from the one they were joined to is at an all-time high because they reached a climax at salvation and then let the normality draw them into complacency, which then draws them into apathy. This is the process I see over and over and over. The greatest moment of your life was salvation. That's why I hear all the time, like, man, what, what's the greatest moment of your life? The day I got saved. That's, I'll be honest with you, the greatest moment of my life was today because I encountered him today in a deeper way than I did at salvation. Salvation was great, but it was the catalyst into glory to glory to glory. It's illegal to say that we move from glory to glory to glory to glory and then say this level down here of glory is greater than this level up here of glory. Right? If that was the greatest level of glory you ever experienced, you're not going bam, 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 bam. You're actually going bam, 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 if not plateauing. Okay? So, I'm just going ahead and get this out of the way. You know. So, glory to glory is actually climax to climax. Every day is the best day if you see the wonder in the invitation to know the one whom find, who everything finds existent is excuse me let me say this one more time every day is the best day if you see the wonder in the invitation to know the one whom everything finds existence through Jesus okay uh, song of songs 5 i know that's a lot and i know that's real deep but y'all just hang with me for a little bit and we're going to go somewhere. Song of Songs 5, and we're going to start at verse 1. Some of y'all are going to say this. I know I skipped some verses in at the end of chapter 4. Go back and read those when you get home. Okay, last week. Uh, Song of Songs 5, I'm going to read the first few uh, verses, and then we will uh, kind of just go deeper. So uh, if you notice, these are the longest verses ever. Does anybody know this? Has, has anybody been reading this? Some of y'all are telling on yourself, you're like, no, I've never read this before. Um, so, yeah, verse 1 is like the equivalent to like 10 verses in Psalms. But anyway, um, Song of Songs 5, verse 1. I have gathered from your heart my equal, my bride. I have gathered from my garden all my sacred spices, even my myrrh. I have tasted and enjoyed my wine within you. I've tasted with pleasure my pure milk, my honeycomb, which you yield to me. I delight in gathering my sacred spice. All the fruits of my life I have gathered from within you, my, pri my paradise garden. Come, all my friends, feast upon my bride, all you revelers of my palace." Feast on her, my lovers, drink and drink and drink again until you can take no more. Drink the wine of her love. This is Jesus speaking to you, speaking about you. Drink the wine of her love. Take all you desire, you priest. My life within her will become your feast. Whoa. Let me just read this little footnote right here that Dr. Brian Simmons has. Um, the beautiful bride overflowing with his life is to be given to others even as Jesus was given to us by the Father. So she becomes a feast for the nations, wine to cheer the hearts of others. He, he begins to speak 
over her, her life, and he speak things. He speaks things like, and we went mentioned this last week, but uh, I've gathered from your heart my equal, my bride. And he goes through and describes myrrh. I've tasted my wine within you. This goes back to some of the stuff we talked about when it comes to new wine. Okay, I've tasted with pleasure my pure milk, my honeycomb, which you yield to me. All the fruits of my life I have gathered from within you. Okay. And then she says this. This is where we're going to be today. So everybody focus in. Verse 2. After this, I let my devotion slumber. Okay? So he, he begins to describe all these things flowing out of her life. And then she says, after all that, I let my devotion slumber, but my heart for him stayed awake. I had a dream. I dreamed of my beloved. He was coming to me in the darkness of night. The melody of the man I love awakened me. I heard his knock at my heart's door as he pleaded with me. Let me stop right there, okay? The Lord has started to show me that we may have gotten the original idea for dream church out of Acts 2, but this is the dream he was talking about. It was young men seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams, but what it really was, was us being in an area where everyone has let devotion slumber. But hearts for him have stayed awake. Churches are, churches are slam full of people right now all around us, mostly slumbering. And that, that again, not a knock, it's reality. If we know who we are and we know the situation we're in, he can bring us out. Okay? Slumbering. So hearts have stayed awake. But then a dream pops up. It's a dream of the beloved who was coming in the darkness of night, and the melody of that beloved awakened her as she heard the knock on the heart's door. Now, here's why that sounds familiar. In Revelation 3, there's a letter written to the church of Laodicea, and he says, you're neither hot you're not cold, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I would much rather you be hot, and honestly, I'd much rather you be cold than lukewarm. And then it goes through and talks about, but behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever will open the door, I'll come in and feast with them. So that's where that kind of sounds familiar. What is he saying? She let her devotion slumber, and as she is slumbering, he comes to her in a dream and begins to knock. Now, here's why that's key. He doesn't force his way into her life. He doesn't show up and, say, and bust through the door and say, nah, we're taking care of this thing. He stands at the door and goes, and in order for her to encounter what we're about to read, it required her to get up and open it. Some, some of you have been in a place where you're hearing, just so everybody can hear. And here's how a lot of people are responding. 
who is knocking at that door? I wish they stopped. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's how a lot of, and he's just, man, Lord, I, 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 Lord, I wish you would just blow through my life. Lord, I, I, I pray for healing right now. And, Jesus. and he's waiting for somebody to get up and open the door. Because in order for you to get up and open the door, you're going to have to trust that what's on the other side of the door is actually good and not bad. Okay. So some of you, you're praying, Lord, do this. Move in this way. Take me here. Lord, reveal my calling. All that stuff and all you're getting. And what he's saying is, is I'm standing at this door until you open up because there's things I need to fix on the inside before I move you somewhere on the outside. He doesn't call her out. Man, I'm seeing some things right now I didn't see before. The first time she goes out and finds him. The second time right here, he comes in and starts to knock because this time he's not going to call her outside the house. This time he's coming inside her house. Massive difference. Okay? A lot, he'll, he'll call you out into the street and we'll go, but when he wants to come visit your house, there's some dirt and messiness that is in that house that you really don't want him to see. What do we do? This is what I do. When I know somebody's coming to our house, it's like 30 minutes of just chaos, right? Anybody can relate? Yeah. It's like, hey, uh, just so you know, mom's coming in. It's like, oh my goodness. Start throwing stuff in closets. You know, like the, the sheets on the bed aren't even clean, but you're making them look clean and Febreze, every, you know. And so, that's what we do. So if there's there's certain closets in our house, you open those things up, you probably need to wear a, a helmet. Um, but I'm just kidding; it's not that bad. But that's what we do, right? We know somebody's coming, and we start throwing stuff in closets to hide the mess, because we want people to come into our house and see something that's clean, hoping they never go into that closet. So when the Lord shows up and He starts knocking. Instead of saying, hey, here's what I'm thinking. You know in the movies where the dude's at the bottom, he's like throwing the rocks at the window? And he's saying like, hey, come out here, let's, let's run away and all that stuff, okay? That's one thing. It's a whole other thing when you start hearing the doorbell ring. And he begins to walk into that house, and a lot of us are wearing 45 masks, and so as he's walking around, he's like, man, this place is clean. And inside, you're thinking, Lord, please don't let him go into that closet. Right? Please don't let him talk to me about that relationship. Please don't let him talk to me about giving. Please don't let him talk to me about the fact that I'm going here and he really wants me to go here and I know it, but I'm doing it anyway. And so, so a lot of times we will introduce because that, that right there is knowing him and him knowing you. There's certain parts of you he can't know until he gets in your house and ultimately gets in your bedroom. As long as you're outside, there's certain pieces about you that he won't know. So she lets her devotion slumber. So he comes with a knock on her heart's door and a request to open deeper to him. The moment, and we're about to read this, but the moment that you stop opening deeper will be the moment you step into complacency or slumbering. Say this one more time. The moment that you stop seeking out more 
will be the moment that you start cruising into complacency. So let me read this. He knocks on the heart's door as he pleaded, Arise, my love. Listen to this language. Open your heart, my darling, deeper still to me. Will you receive me this dark night? There is no one else but you, my friend, my equal. I need you this night to arise and be with me. You are my pure, loyal dove, a perfect partner for me, my flawless one. Will you arise? For my heaviness and tears are more than I can bear. I have spent myself for you throughout the dark night. That points to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying through the night, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? It's not the cross. Okay? When he's praying, if some of y'all were here back in the day when I preached on this, but when he's praying, let the, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is not saying, you know what? I'd love to give up right about now. You're talking about the Son of God. What he's saying is, is don't you dare let me die in this garden because I got a cross to go to. So when he says, let this cup pass from me, the cup he's talking about is a premature death in the garden. Remember, he was so crushed, the Bible says, if you go back and read it, it says he was crushed to the point of death as he's praying. And then he says, let this cup pass from me. All right, don't stay on that. Go home and study that. Just hang in there. So he comes, I need you to open deeper to me. I need you to arise, my flawless one, will you arise, for my heaviness and tears are more than I can bear. I've spent myself for you through the dark night. And she says this, I've already laid aside my own garments for you. How could I take them up again since I've yielded my righteousness to yours? Listen to this right here. You have cleansed my life and taken me so far. Is not that enough? Remember, he says, open your heart, my darling, deeper still to me. She says, you've cleansed my life and taken me so far. Isn't that enough? My beloved then reached into me to unlock my heart. The core of my very being trembled at his touch. My soul melted when he spoke to me. My spirit arose to open for more of his touch. As I surrendered to him, I began to sense his fragrance, the fragrance of his suffering love. It was the sense of myrrh flowing all throughout me. I opened my soul to my beloved, but suddenly he was gone. This is going to be so cool. Suddenly he was gone. My heart was turn out, torn out in longing for him. I sought his presence, his fragrance, but I could not find him anywhere. I called out for him, yet he did not answer me. I will arise and search for him until I find him. As I walk throughout the city in search of him, the overseers stopped me as they made their rounds. They beat me and bruised me until I could take no more. They wounded me deeply and removed their covering from me. Nevertheless... Make me this promise, you brides-to-be. This is the bride talking to other brides-to-be. If you find my beloved, please tell him I endured all travails for him. I've been pierced through by love, and I will not be turned aside. And then they say, what love is this? How could you continue to care so deeply for him? 
Isn't there another who could steal away your heart? We see now your beauty more beautiful than all the others. What makes your beloved better than any other? What is it about him that makes you ask us to promise you this? And then she begins to say, he alone is my beloved, and goes through and starts to describe. And I'm going to let you go home and read that because I really want to focus on this. But she begins to describe why she chooses him. They come, why, why are you doing this? They come, why are you spending yourself to go after him? Is there not anybody else? Is there not a job or a career or a relationship? Or an, is there not something else that could fill that spot in you? Why are you doing this? And she begins to go through and talk about how there is nothing that can fulfill her like the one who has fulfilled her. Okay, But I want to go back, and I want to I hit a couple of things, and then uh, we're just going to hang out here pretty much the rest of the day. So she says... I've already laid aside my garments for you. You've cleansed my life, taken me so far. Isn't that enough? Let me say it like this. She says, I've repeated a prayer. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been having a consistent devotion. I've been going to church. I've been tithing. I've been doing all this stuff. Is that not enough for you? So she begins, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Do you hear this? Works. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Is that not enough? And he comes and he begins to unlock her in a way that she stops thinking in terms of works and starts thinking in terms of her heart. Massive transition right here. Okay? She, she goes from an obvious works mindset, righteous. Did I not do this, and I did this, and I did this? Is that not enough? And he says, no, 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 let me unlock something right here. And as she unlocks something deeper, he begins to allow her to smell a fragrance and allow him to search him out in a way that she did not have access to while she was still thinking in terms of what she was doing. All right, hear me. There's certain things that you won't have access to if you think you can work your way into those things. There's certain things in the kingdom that you will not have access to as long as you think on your own you can get access to those things. And there's certain things in the kingdom that you won't have access to until you understand there's nothing I could do to have access to those things, but you're good enough to allow me to inherit righteousness that makes me good enough to have those things. Y'all with me? Okay, so the level I'm on is always enough, but never enough, okay? But for me, I can trace back my slumber seasons, if you will, to times when I became okay remaining at the level I was. I can trace every single season that I would call a slumbering season to points when I said, man, this is good. I'm going to just hang out here, right? Life is good. Everything's working out. I got favor. I got grace. This is great. And immediately I start to see my devotion slumber. I read my Bible as much. I don't need to. Life's good. Stop praying as much. Don't need to. Life's good. 
And what he does in my life anyways, and I believe this is what he does for all of us, but for me, this is my testimony, is he'll continue to unlock things in me until I stop seeing him as a means to an end. Because ultimately, that's how a lot of us see God, right? I need money in this situation in my life. So, man, I'm going to start praying. Yeah, it is prostitution. Thank you, Spencer. That's right. You know what I mean? I, I need a husband. So you know what? I'm going to get in devotion like I've never been before. I need this job. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to do. He said, that, that's not, he's not a means to an end. The Lord showed me this this morning. Let me just take this little rabbit right here because uh, I can see some of y'all are just like, maybe y'all stayed up late last night, but that's okay. Um, <clears throat> we have church at 10 a.m. So... Some of y'all are still sleeping in at 10 a.m. Then, all right. Um, we had a conversation. We was it Drear? One night she's like, "Man, the Lord woke me up. I got up early and studied my Bible at like at 8 a.m. And I was like, 8 a.m. I haven't slept till 8 a.m. in five years. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so I know she, yeah, Drear, if you're watching this, I bless you with that. Um, the so on my way in this morning, the Lord. The Lord just speaks loud on the way to church on Sunday mornings, which is very dangerous for y'all. Um, but I'm on the way here, and he begins to show me. So we have a three-year-old. He begins to show me. We, we, as a culture, have turned Scripture into stories, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But we have fantasized things in the Bible because in all actuality, let me just be real, we don't believe a lot of stuff in the Bible. So in other words, we'll create a children's book and put the David and Goliath story in the book. But we'll make Goliath as tall as the World Trade Center, and we'll make David this big and say, David flung a rock up a hundred stories, hit Goliath, Goliath died, and it was this awesome story. Goliath was nine feet tall to clear that up, right? Why do we do that? Because ultimately, this thing to a lot of people is just a bunch of stories. It's really, it's really what it is. And so we'll raise kids up teaching them the stories, but because we don't teach them the one who actually every single story was leading up to and about, they'll grow up, know the stories, not know the one that the stories are about, and that's why they leave the church. Because they say, when I was a kid, I know the David and Goliath story, I know the Moses story, I know the Noah story, I know the creation story, but I don't know Jesus. And I think it's a lot more effective for us to teach our kids how to walk with him on a daily basis so that when they hear those stories, they don't say, wow, that's a great story. They say, yeah, that makes sense. The David and Goliath story, when I hear that, I don't think like, man, what an awesome story. Like the Avengers, you know what I mean? That's, that's what we made it, basically, an old school Avengers. You got little old David, and he's got a stone, and you know. And then you got Goliath, and what, what was the dude's name? Thanos. The Goliath's like Thanos, you know, just like can kill everybody, you know what I mean? And then just, um, that's, but that's what we've made it, right? And instead, we need to start teaching our culture how to open your heart deeper to the one that every single story makes sense through. That's why I say this is not a story, but it's a history book, okay? So in your library, or in my library, well, I guess all of our libraries are the same. We live in the same city. In our library, half the floor is fiction. 
You can have plenty of stories with zero reality. Hello, news. Okay? You can have, you can have plenty of stories with zero reality. Corona, cor, coronavirus, whatever it's called, is not what they say. Let me clear that up. So, we have a lot of stories with zero facts. You cannot have history without facts. Okay? So, Scripture is not a bunch of good stories. It's a historical account of the one that you should be walking with. So, I know that cancer is nothing for him because I know a few thousand years ago he parted a sea for his people. And if he can part a sea, he can cure cancer. Y'all see how that works? Or I know the story of Jesus. So when somebody's in front of me and they need a word from God, I know I have the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead living in me. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, all who believe in me will do the works I do and greater works. How do I know that? Because we have an, a historical account of Jesus' life. It wasn't a story. It's history. Now, here's the thing with history. If history is reality, then we then have to say, this is what our current reality is. This is what the reality was 2,000 years ago. Where are things not lining up? But if it's a story, we don't have to do that. If Jesus' resurrection was just a good story, we don't have to look at our lives and say, why am I not living resurrected if he did? But if it's history... We have to look at him and say, if he did that, and those disciples, those ragtag bunch of disciples did that, Peter denies and cusses out Jesus' name, and then a few chapters later, his shadow's healing everybody. If that's Peter, who am I? Okay? So, there's that rabbit. Okay. A temptation a lot of believers fall into is becoming comfortable with where you are to the point that you start subconsciously denying invitations that threaten your comfortability. The, the temptation that runs rampant in Christianity is, I'm good where I am. And then when he comes with an invitation that subconsciously we believe is going to threaten where we are, we'll start saying no to things. Any, in fact, we'll start labeling things that move us out of comfortability as wrong. When in all actuality, we were never meant to live in comfortability, period. In fact, the only comfortability we're legally allowed to live in is a lifestyle of being uncomfortable, but trusting enough that the uncomfortable is actually comfortable for us. Okay, bless y'all with that. So, why do people in America have such a difficult time with and resistance to, this is just a couple of examples, healing, the prophetic, and the apostolic? Why? Because we're okay with where we are and where we've been. So we'll say things, and I say we because this is my story in the past. We'll say things like grace, hope, love, and joy were all meant to be uh, things that we were intended to encounter, all that other stuff, just put it on a shelf. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, I, I had conversations, I've told this to people. Don't worry about that prophetic stuff. Just li live in grace. Look, like, look, Paul says this is a more excellent way to love. He does not say do away with everything else. But, so I would say, oh, there's a more excellent way. Love. Prophetic stuff, that's great. Just love. 
That's, my, that's what I've done, okay? Wrong. But here's why. We'll say, you know, grace, hope, love, all that stuff. Don't make the other stuff complicated. Here's the reality. The level of grace, hope, and love and joy that we experience were only meant to be catalyst into establishing his kingdom. And to establish his kingdom, it will require healing the prophetic and the apostolic. So to, to have good morals, you only need grace, hope, love, and joy. But to have his kingdom, you need healing, the apostolic, the prophetic, words of discernment, all the gifts of the Spirit, all the offices of the church. You need all that stuff if we're establishing a kingdom. If we're trying to live by good morals, all you need is good. Grace, hope, love, joy. Good. Right? And so we have, are, 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 we, are we serving good morals or are we serving Yahweh? Okay. I, feel, I, just, I know some of y'all are tired. It's okay. This, I'm getting this, so this is good. He didn't call us simply into glory. He actually called us into a lifestyle rhythm of glory to glory. Let me just read this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you want to turn there, go ahead. It's just one verse, so um, no big deal if you don't. But 2 Corinthians 3.18. I thought I marked this, but maybe I didn't. I did not. All right. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Go ahead and go there. I know, man. <coughs> I should have just quoted it without going there. But anyway. 318. All right. It says this. Um, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil we all become like, this is the Passion Translation, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another, or glory to glory. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We, we reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus and are transfigured into his very image as we move from glory to glory. With every level of glory you hit, you look more and more like him. So, so here you look a little more like him. And then he draws you to here, and you look a little more like him. And then he draws you here, and you look a little more like him. Until ultimately we get to the place where we actually start looking like Jesus. But you're not going to look like Jesus remaining on that level. You're only going to start looking like Jesus when you become obsessed with chasing him from one level of glory to the other. Are y'all are with me? Okay, okay, cool. So, Song of Songs 5, go back there. Real quick, and let me show you something, all right? So we're called to go glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. So she gets a knock at her heart's door. He comes in and says, I long to open you for more, for deeper. And then she says, I've cleansed my life. You've taken me so far. Is that not enough? And then here's what happens. I open my soul to my beloved, but suddenly he was gone. Man, this is so good. 
suddenly he was gone. And my heart was torn out in longing for him. I sought his presence, his fragrance, but I could not find him anywhere. I called out for him, yet he did not answer me. I will arise and search for him until I find him as I walk through the city, which represents the church, in search of him, the overseers, the leaders of the church. The overseers stopped me as they made their rounds. They beat me and bruised me until I could take no more. They wounded me deeply and removed their covering from me. In chapter 3, verse 3, she encounters overseers that led her to her beloved. In chapter 3, verse 3, she goes through the overseers and finds her beloved. Now, in chapter 5, verse 7, she encounters a different group of overseers. This group of overseers are offended by her longing for more of her bridegroom. So we have a handful of overseers that lead with a go for it and never stop leadership and a majority who have a don't go there leadership. As a leader who has done both, I can testify leaders who aren't open to more because they've become comfortable are always going to stop others from going where they aren't. I got offended when back in the day, back in the system, I guess you would call it, back in my mindset. I got offended when I saw somebody else going somewhere that I wasn't yet. So instead of saying, that's awesome, keep going, I would start convincing them that they shouldn't go where they're trying to go. Not because where they were going was wrong, because I wasn't going where they were going. So insecurity will lead to a stumbling block for everybody else that's being led by somebody that is insecure. And I say this to us because everybody in this room is leaders. The Lord has called us to be a church that doesn't just have great services here, but we're a church that is equipping all of you to be apostolic and prophetic and pastoral and evangelistic and teaching where you are. So when you go into your school or when you go into your job, or when you go into just hanging out with friends, or when you go wherever, you're not just going as a Christian, you are, but you're also going as a leader. You're going as somebody who's got, who God has given the grace to establish the kingdom wherever you are. So in this room, it's not me as a leader speaking to a bunch of people who are following, it's me as a leader speaking to everybody else who are also leaders. That's why a lot of times I talk about the church as a whole. Because if we're going to fix the American church, which we are called to do because we're joined to everybody else, whether or not we agree on everything, we are one body. Not just us, we are. But the church as a whole is one body. So in order for us, a healthy piece of the body, to draw other unhealthy pieces into health, it will require us to know what healthy even looks like. So that's why I talk about this a lot. Not because y'all, I'm just like, you know, up here just talking, but because I want this to be fuel for you to be able to lead other people into the freedom that I hope you found. 
Okay, so in 3.3, she encounters overseers who lead her to her beloved. 5.7, she encounters overseers who are offended by her longing. Okay, leaders who know who they are and have a thriving relationship with the bridegroom will actually rejoice in others making it where they aren't because they see this isn't about them. So if I talk to Spencer, and I'm just saying Spencer because he's right here in front of me. If I talk to Spencer and he says, you know what? I saw Seraphim flying around my living room the other day, and I haven't seen that. I don't say, man, don't go there. Man, you're getting some weird stuff. I say, I honor that in you, and I believe I can see that too. You understand? Why? Because I know who I am. So he can go as far as he wants, and even if I'm not there yet, I can honor it because I know who I am, right? And so this competition and comparison that goes back and forth and back and forth, that's what leaders do. The reason leaders want to grow their church is really because they want to be able to say they're the same as other people that they look at on Instagram that have bigger churches than them. That's, that's why. How do I know that? That was me. I wanted to be able to lead worship in front of more people than every other worship leader I followed on Instagram. Some of y'all listen to me sometimes and think, man, that is a messed up dude. Yes. 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 I mean, not anymore, but it was. Okay? I'm I'm the only one that's being real to y'all, though. Um, This is why, this is why a church who primary, listen, let me, speak, let me speak about us for a second. This is why if our church primarily pursued people rather than Yahweh, it would be detrimental. If our church pursued people primarily rather than Yahweh primarily, it would be detrimental. Because when you do that, you choose the comfortability of the majority over the glory to glory of a few. We have chosen to be a place that primarily pursues Yahweh. This means we choose the glory to glory of a few over the comfortability of the majority. Comfortability requires suppression of anything that threatens comfortability. Are y'all, are y'all, are y'all good? Okay. Comfor- comfortability requires a suppression of anything that threatens comfortability. Glory to glory requires suppression of anything that threatens glory to glory, primarily comfortability. Right? So if we're going after creating an environment that's comfortable, we actually have to suppress the move of God that when he gets in the room will be uncomfortable for people that aren't ready for it. It will. But he doesn't show up in a way that's uncomfortable for those because he wants to make people uncomfortable. He shows up to show them the more excellent way. So I would never know that he actually wants to unlock freedom in me unless I got around a bunch of people who were actually free. You understand that? But if I'm around a bunch of people who are in bondage, I don't even know freedom's available. Bondage is comfortable. 
Freedom is highly uncomfortable because it requires you to let go of bondage. So if I'm around a bunch of people who are free, guess what? I become free. But if I'm around a bunch of people who are in bondage, guess what? Doesn't matter how free I am, I start falling into bondage. So we, so we, have, we have Christians. Can I just, this political stuff, I actually love. I, like the, I just like this stuff. But we have Christians who will support abortion. Hear, hear me, okay? We have. I know it's not popular. It's highly unpopular. Somehow, somehow the church moved into a place where if you start talking against abortion, people start getting weird. When did that happen? Thou shalt not murder. It's kind of clear. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to, like, if that's something that you've walked through, there is grace. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying supporting policy that makes abortion okay. We wouldn't have Moses. How do, man, how do I say this? If killing babies, let me just, if killing babies was okay, let me tell you who we wouldn't have. Jesus, number one. Moses, we wouldn't have a lot of the Old Testament prophets and heroes and leaders and all that. Jesus, there was a decree made that everybody, every baby in the age that Jesus would have been had to be put to death because the king was threatened at the idea that the Son of God had actually come. Thank the Lord they escaped into Egypt and Jesus wasn't put to death. But if killing babies is okay, you got to erase a lot of your Bible. Amen. That's right. That's right. That's what he's like, man. You know what I'm saying? But, but why have we done this? Because the way we draw the unbelievers in is to not talk about that abortion thing and to not talk about that LGBTQ whatever thing. The, the way that we draw people in is just to be like, you know what? There's grace for all. There's love for all. Yes, there's grace for all. But there are some babies who are called to be kings that if we're not careful, we're going to watch die rather than being the kingdom of God that says that thing can be redeemed. We have major denominations in America that are currently splitting because the majority believe that pastors should have the ability to be gay. That's what we have in America. While China is raising the dead, we're having conversations back and forth on whether or not a pastor should be gay or not. I'll take raising the dead. I saw an article this week about a pastor that is in China, underground church, and somebody asked him, are y'all going to cancel churches because of the coronavirus or whatever? And he was like, what are you talking about? Cancel church? Yeah, corona? Yeah, whatever it's called. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all been studying way too much. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? I saw, yeah, <laughs> all right, break. I saw this uh, picture. And it was a, a beer, like, thing in a gas station. Did y'all see this? And, there, and somebody put mask on all the, like, beers that weren't Corona. <laughs> that was so funny. So funny. Um, somebody is so smart and has way too much time and way too much money. Um, 
All right, bring it back. That was good. There goes the fear of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> people, um, this is the end. People conform to standards. There's, people will conform to standards. So if the standard is comfortability, people will conform to comfortability. If the standard is glory, people will conform to glory. Let me say this. Alabama football has different standards than I was going to use USC, but I thought it was too soon. Alabama, Alabama football. <laughs> Man, they're just praying to make it to a bowl. Um, but that's okay. They'll make it. <clears throat> uh, Alabama football has different standards than Arkansas football, right? So Alabama is sitting around, so Nick Saban's sitting around in his, uh, you know, office, probably a house, uh, but sitting around, you know, hey guys, like, so we're probably going to make it back to the championship this year, so what are some things we need to do to prepare our team to win the championship? That's the conversation they're having. Arkansas is over here saying, y'all, how do we win a game? If we could win a game, that'd be the season. Do you see the standards? So you got an entire football team here who is conforming to a standard that says, we're just trying to win a game. you got another team over here that is conforming to the standards. If we don't make the championship, we have failed. How, you see the difference? They're in the same conference playing the same game. The difference is the standard that has been set by leaders who refuse to settle for winning a couple of games. And I refuse to settle for just a couple of people being healed or a couple of people being saved. Or let me say that I refuse to settle for this building being slam-packed with people who are just comfortable. Because we could. You get enough money and preach enough good sermons, enough short sermons, and we could pack this bad boy out. That's, and if that's the standard, go for it. Let me tell you who's not selling football tickets. Arkansas. You know why? Nobody wants to see mediocrity. Right? It, it, but if you go to an Alabama game, you're going to pay some money. If you go to a Clemson game, you're going to pay some money. Why? Because everybody wants to be in that game. If you're going to be in the kingdom, you're going to have to pay a price. And it's not going to be cheap. It's your life. However, those who lose their life will find it. But if you refuse to lose your life, you'll never find it. So we got a bunch of people wandering around wondering where their life is because they haven't laid down the old one. Okay, y'all, I mean, I need something. You know what I'm saying? We've got a bunch of, like, man, I, man, I thought life would be good by now. I sick, man, I went, that flu, man, coronavirus, man, it's just, did y'all hear about that? Man, let's just hope Donald Trump, you know. People are walking around like that. People have more faith in Donald Trump than God. They do. How do I know this? I, you see all over the news. Right? I don't care who's in the White House. Things are getting good. Put Bernie in there. I promise you, things are getting good. Why? Because my relationship with Jesus and his kingdom being established here has nothing to do with the burn. Has everything to do with the fire that is coming into a group of people that say, I will die to Adam so that I can inherit Yeshua. Right? Adam is okay with a piece of fruit. 
Yeshua's in a wilderness for 40 days, is offered food, and he says, no, 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 no. I didn't come to eat that. I actually came to eat something that's going to cost me everything but give them everything. If you just say, if you just bow to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. And he said, no, I'm not going to bow to you. I'm going to take the kingdoms of the earth by dying and then getting right back up. Nobody killed him. He gave up his spirit. Nobody killed Jesus. He said, you know what? I'm going to give you my spirit, and in three days, I'm going to take it right back. That's what he said. Some, some of us are submitting to things that you should not be submitting to. Jesus didn't say, well, I guess this is how, I guess this is how it ends. I'll just, just die. Right? I guess that's how it is. I hope a doctor shows up. Yeah, yeah, that's not, right? That, that's not what he, Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to give you my life. But you better believe I'm going to take that thing back. There's a, there's a lot of, he's just knocking. And we start putting our hope in other things because we know if he ever gets through that door, it's going to threaten everything that we've become comfortable with. We, we know it. We know it. Society, people, people hate on us. And when somebody in their family gets sick, who's the first people they call? Us. Why? Because when, when people listen to a podcast... Every week, week in and week out and week in and week out. Man, I just don't agree with that. And yet somehow every week they're listening. You know why? Because every time they press play, they hear this. And something in them every single time says, what would happen if I actually opened it? And then the next week, maybe I could just crack it. And then the next week, maybe he can just come in for a few minutes. And, and you start seeing this. Some of y'all, this is your story. You came into this, and you, were, you thought it was going to be something cool because I'm 28, and I wear cool clothes or whatever, and you thought it was just going to be another, you know, one of these things. And you come in, and all of a sudden, he starts. And some of you gave him the ability to actually come in and fix things within you. We have multiple stories now of people who have been healed of things that we didn't even know or lay hands on them for, that they got in the presence of the Lord, and he actually began to fix things. How did he do that? Because they opened the door and let him come in and fix things. So we, we're afraid he'll see the mess in the closet. What he wants to do is go clean up the mess in the closet. Right? But, but that is so uncomfortable for us. But if we can move into a place where we're actually okay being uncomfortable in all seasons of our lives, knowing he's moving us from glory to glory to glory to glory, comfortability will become something that we despise. I despise comfortability. In fact, if there's ever a moment in my life where I start to sense I'm kind of becoming okay with where I am, not in a works way and not in a condemnation way, but I'll have to look at myself and say, am I becoming complacent or am I allowing myself to slumber because things are good for a season? There's, there's people that say, I don't believe in God, and yet if they're about to get in a car wreck, you know who they're calling out to. God. Why? It, because some, they know. They've heard the knock. They just denied it. And so my, my goal for our church, I'm going to wrap this up. If you want to, uh, who? Daniel? Daniel, could you come play a little bit? Thanks, dude. Let me just give it a little less volume, though. Boom. 
Um, when y'all hear Daniel play, you're going to be like, man, why is Josh up there? Um, but don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to me. Um, immediately, I saw everybody go. I should never say anything. Okay. We, we, I feel like our call primarily is to wake up sleepers. In fact, Ephesians 5 says this, and this is Paul quoting Isaiah. This is going to sound really familiar. He says, arise, you sleeper. Rise up from your coffin, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. Arise, you sleeper. Rise from your coffin, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. What's he saying? What's Isaiah saying? He's saying in order for the light to be shined into you, it'll first require you to wake up. We talk a lot about this wine skin and wine thing, and uh, I just keep getting more pieces and more pieces and more pieces of this. But the wine skin that the Lord takes from an unpliable place state and baptizes in anointing and oil and then rises it up and calls it new again. There is a process where a wineskin is re-identified as new, but before new wine is poured into it. So when a wineskin is pulled out of the oil, if you haven't been here, just, just hang with me, but uh, Jesus talking about a new wineskin isn't a new wineskin. It's the same wineskin that has been restored to new quality. So when that wineskin comes out of the oil, there is a point when it's empty, yet about to receive new wine. Okay? Here's what I feel in my spirit. There is a temptation when you come out of the oil and you've been re-identified as new to say, because you know what the wine's going to do to you. What does new wine do? It stretches you. It ferments. It goes through a maturing process, and it's highly uncomfortable, which is why you have to be pliable in order to even receive it. That's what Jesus says. If I pour new wine into an old wineskin, it will burst. Why? Because the new wine stretches so much that if the wineskin doesn't stretch with it, it will break. Okay? So when you become a new wineskin, be careful that you don't say, now that I'm new, I don't want to go through the process of stretching, so I'm just going to remain a new wineskin. Keep going until he begins to pour so much new wine in you that it stretches and it tests every inch of your pliability. Because that's what he wants to do. He's going to begin to teach us things. He's already done this. But he's going to begin to teach us things that's going to stretch us and test our faith. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Let perseverance do its work so that you ultimately become mature and complete, not lacking anything. James 1, right? So when he pours new wine into you, it tests how pliable you really are or how faithful or trust-filled you really are. When he pours that in, do not stop until it tests every inch of your faith to prove that it's now become perfect and without flaw. He made you the righteousness of God. So if your righteousness, that means you have the potential to contain everything Jesus contained. But if you ever got a measure of what Jesus had and the measure that Jesus had it, it would test every single idea that you currently have about God. Jesus did not doubt God's goodness. How do I know that? Because he was completely comfortable making statements like, eat my body or drink my blood or you'll have no part in me. That's not comfortable. But he was comfortable in the uncomfortable or the stretching because he had no doubt who God was. So if he comes to you and he starts delivering a new wine that begins to start teaching you things like, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you'll have no part in me, or raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the leopards. When he starts whispering things like that, you're not going to start saying, well, man, I just, I, just, man, I just don't know about that. That's not how I grew up. Nobody ever taught me that. Nobody talks about that anymore. Right? Instead, you're going to say, you know what? Never heard that before. Nobody's ever taught me that before. That's not how I grew up, but I'm going to chase it. You, you know what I'm saying? He, he, she hears the invitation and then searches out. They say, Why, who is he that you would do this? Here's my thing, and I'm going to end right here. Remember Proverbs 25? Y'all remember this verse? It's, it's God's privilege to conceal a matter or a word and the king's privilege to search it out. You remember that a couple weeks ago? If you missed that, go back and read that. Where did he go? Remember, he comes, she has this crazy encounter, she opens up for more, and then suddenly she can't find him. Where did he go? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my voice. A shepherd never leaves his sheep. However, he has to go before them so that they know where they're going. Right? Right? A shepherd never leaves the sheep, but he's always in front of the sheep. So you, you don't go anywhere that he hasn't been first. Okay? There, if he is the good shepherd, there is nowhere that you could go that he didn't visit first. Right? So where was he? He unlocks her heart to receive more. Let me say it like this. He creates in her a new wineskin and then leads her to the next level of glory to glory. 
before she follows him to that level, she's searching around on her current level saying, I can't find him. Where is he? I can't find him. I don't know where to go. She goes to the overseers. They start beating her because they know if she ever got to the level where he actually was, that she would be in a place where she was hosting a kingdom that they had no language for and no experience for. He didn't leave her. He was on a level that she was called or positioned to be with him. He went from glory to glory to glory and unlocked her to follow him from glory to glory to glory to glory. So today, if you feel like one of two things, these are two things I want to pray for. There's one or two people in this room. There's those who have felt him knock And you haven't opened the door because you're afraid when he walks in the house, he's going to see the mess and condemn you for it. There's that group. Number one, you're afraid if you ever opened up for more, that he would come in and condemn you over the mess. He actually wants to clean up the mess for you. Group number one. Then there's group number two, that you've actually let him in. He's unlocked more within you and then called you to the next level of glory and you've remained at this level mostly because it's comfortable. And you're wondering why you're not encountering him like you used to and why he's not speaking like he used to and why he's not loud like he used to be and why you're not falling out in the spirit all the time like you used to and all this other stuff. You're wondering why you're not doing all that stuff. Not because he's left, it's because he led you somewhere that you haven't followed him to which is freeing because all you got to do is just say, you know what? I'm going to follow right in his footsteps. My sheep know my voice. So I believe there's two groups. And then there's, there's some of y'all in the room that you've just committed to this lifestyle that you're just going to go for it. You, if you are that, you are the leaders in this room. You've just self-identified yourself, Okay. But I really specifically want to pray for those two groups because today I know you're tired. I know it's sunny outside and it's been rainy all week, so you're probably wanting to get outside and stuff like that. But just for this moment, just hang in here. I want to pray and I want us to be positioned and postured that when he comes and starts knocking with no questions asked, we throw the door open and say, come on in, fix whatever you need to fix because I'm going where you're going. He longs to move in. If he's going to move in, he's got to get inside first. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information, visit dreamcolumbia.com.